Open your Bibles this afternoon, please, to Genesis chapter 1. That's where we'll be if you got the, uh, note, um, the note papers while I figure out my technology here. Um, title of the message will be God of Order. Um, I believe it's very appropriate after admiring, remembering our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to look with awe and reverence on the first action of Christ that was revealed to us in Scripture. The first time we see our Lord and Saviors uh, at work is not at Christmas. It is in creation. You see in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Down in verse 10, and He uh, says, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's what we're going to be examining today. We're going to be examining the actions of uh, Christ at creation, His uh, creating, His examining, and His assigning or ordering. And let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Son, Christ, and the sacrifice He gave for us, uh, undeserved though we are. We ask, Lord, that clear our minds of distractions and that we're able to Listen, hear, and understand your word. I ask to only be used as a conduit and the words not be mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Genesis there, as you open it up, in the first verse, you've all seen this, you've all heard the creation account. I don't think there's anyone here that uh, believes into something as foolish as the gap theory or evolution. But we're going. But that's not what we're going to be emphasizing today. Anyways, we're going to look at the orderliness of God. And how God does things. From the very beginning, we see this laid out. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, it says, Let all things be done decently and in order. And when we see light first created by uh, God there, we'll see the very beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. We see all that. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light. So the first thing we see God creating. Then He examined it. This past inspection. It was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. We see Him assigning it its location. He sees Him assigning it to a place. Putting it where it belongs. Separating it from something. Each of those things has a purpose that you'll see later. The light has a specific purpose and the darkness has a specific purpose. We see the same thing in the firmament. Verse 6, where God says, Let there be firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. See the waters above us now, from the remnants of it in clouds, in the sky, or the vapor in the air. And the waters is below. There's no dry land yet. There's nothing that's come up from that hasn't been separated yet. Interestingly enough, we don't see God calling the firmament good. In the second day, we don't see God calling anything good. We just see a separation. We don't see a task assigned to either of those. Unlike what we see on the third day. On the third day, we see dry land and plants separated. Coming from the sea, the dry land has work to do though. It has to support the plants. Now that, we see, is good. 
We see there's a purpose for it. We see there's a purpose to what God created. It has its work. The things of the firmament, we see, we'll don't get too afraid there. I'm not teaching any new doctrine. You'll see that that is called good later on when the firmament has a job to do. You see the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets. They have work. You'll see later on in Scripture that they're for signs for seasons. He gives a greater light and a lesser light. The greater light, the sun to rule the day, the lesser night, the moon, the stars. Some of the reflections you see, I've heard an event individual say, we know the Bible is not true because there's no mention of God creating other planets. That is one of the more foolish arguments I've heard about trying to refute Scripture. But it's an argument that's made. See the stars, the lights in the sky, reflections off of that. Man is mistaken. If man calls something something other than what God has called it, then man is wrong. There was a, a Christian uh, school t- uh, principal, a, um, a student, had gotten a question wrong on a test because he had answered that a whale was a fish because, it says in the Bible, Jonah was swallowed by a fish and Jonah spent days in the belly of the whale. principal said, you're right. It doesn't matter what is assigned by a scientist across the ocean designating something as a mammal or as a fish or something else. The Bible said Jonah was swallowed by a fish and also says he was in the belly of the whale. Whale's a fish. <laughs> and that, fortunately, that was a Christian school, so that student got it right. And he was, uh, he was not punished for that stand that he took. Uh, some might not be as fortunate in the school that you, some of you might not be as fortunate in the schools you go to today. Teachers might not be so willing to render, to adhere to that reasoning. But just a little side note there about someone trying to refute that God, uh, God's word is untrue because we see no mention of him mentioning planets when we see him making the sun, the moon, and the stars on the, uh, on the fourth day. That is absolute nonsense. If God wants to call those planets stars, well, then man is in no position to tell him otherwise. Or whatever he wants to call them, he can. He made it. And it's not for us to try to change the names. And God saw that that was good. And he saw they gave them a purpose to divide the light from the darkness. All has a plan. All has a purpose. It's all in order. We don't see God designing. You notice right now that there are no living beings on the earth. Fish, fowl, beast, or mankind. All the way up to this point, it wouldn't have done any good to have created those. Plants, if you would have created plants and land first, that would not have made sense. As plants need light to survive, and they need the ground to live in for support and for nutrients. God did it specifically and in an order. And then we see on day five, we see fish and fowl. They come from the sea. We see the fowl in the air. We see the fish in the sea. Notice in verse 21, uh, you see the whales. Every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fall after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Then we see God's first command to his creation. 
He blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. A very standard procedure you will see with God uh, doing things as well is God will provide a blessing, then He'll tell you what to do with it. That is contained throughout Scripture, and this is the first example. You see, God blessed them, the fowl, and then He told them to multiply. A great example of a blessing. Many of us Christians, I, I from personal testimony, I know I have prayed foolishly. God bless me, please, Lord, bless me, bless this. Uh, give, uh, give me. Um, uh, when I was uh, before I uh, went to college, met my wife, or got married. Give me a wife, okay, all right. Then I heard a sermon of, okay, if God sends you a wife, what are you going to do? Hmm. Good question. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe I should get that in order. Uh, what's the purpose of this? Or uh, when I was um, even younger than that, God, Lord, I want a car. Okay, give you a car. What are you going to do with it? Well, I won't be laboring and telling you what I did with it, but now I'm older and mature and I'm able to use it as a tool to uh, accomplish what God has told me to accomplish, either through serving Him or through supporting my family as I'm supposed to do. But the blessed, when God gives a blessing, there is always a command to go along with the blessing. It's a sharing. The greatest example I, I've seen an, uh, uh, an older preacher, um, he was dead and gone, and I saw the, the video recording of it. I never saw the actual man, but he talked about God, and the illustration he used was asking a blessing from God, turning and giving it. Asking from God, turning and giving it. It was never... Okay, I'll take this. Okay, God, I'll take that. Thank you very much. No, it was always asking and then giving. That's what we're to do with blessings. Pastor talked about that. I want to belabor that point. She said, The fish and the fowl that God assigned to the sea, He saw that it was good. And God created, on the sixth day, He created beasts and man. And God saw that was good. And God created man in His own image, and in the image of God created He Him, male and female. And even though we don't see it right here at this point in time, further on in Scripture, where it goes back through and gives a little more detailed account of it, uh, chapter number 1, as you all know, Genesis is an overview. It's like an outline. It's um, As uh, one of the men in our church have told me, it speaks very much how, he, how this, this man in church told me he speaks. It's, it's bullet points. That's what uh, chapter 1 is. It's just bullet points. It's not expounding on it. It's not connecting things. It's okay, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. wasn't too much detail in there. And that's the way God did it here in chapter 1. But as you move on in the different, uh, as you move on through Genesis, you see that on this day God created uh, man, male, and female. God blessed them. He said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it. So God, we see on the last, on the last day that He is doing the work of creation, He sees that it's good, and then He puts someone in charge. God always does that. God, I know we're all Americans here. Thankfully, I'm not preaching in the South where, uh, there's a lot more of a rebel, rambunctious attitude which despises authority even more. But God, or authority is ordained of God. You see that in Romans. You see that every, 
everywhere that God has set things in place, there is always someone in charge of carrying it out. There's always accountability, someone to answer to. Now, where these systems go awry is never in how God set them up. Uh, individuals may attempt to point to judges and look at all the chaos that happened in Judges. Well, the phrase that best uh, summarizes the book of Judges in the Bible is every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Everybody did his own thing. They did not follow the theocracy that God put in place. They did not follow his commandments. They did not follow his law. They took his blessing. They absorbed it and turned away from it. We're good. We got it. Enemy's gone. We don't need him. Oh, enemy's back. Oh, they're conquering us? God, help us. And they turn back. So that the failures of judges is not the failures of the theocracy that God put in place. It is the failures of sinful man. But God always puts authority in place. God always assigns order. Let all things be done decently and in order. Some basic examples of this, and I won't belabor too long, lest I sound like I'm uh, trying to dictate or try to be like a military individual. But line upon line, precept upon precept, found in the Bible. You see that illustrated beautifully in creation. Okay, first this is in order. We got light, alright, we got it separated, good, you're in your spots. Okay, next, we got firmament, alright. Some room there. We got some heavens. We got uh, waters below. All right, good. They're separated. All right, now we got some dry lands and plants. Sea goes over here. Dry lands over here. Dry land, you got plants. The sea, that don't know. Any of you might have gotten seaweed caught in your foot. I don't know if you call that a plant. That feels pretty slimy and disgusting, maybe. I don't know what you want to call that. A living thing, maybe. I don't know. But all of that throughout Scripture... And you'll see that, and I won't belabor in other areas, but another example of how God does things. Uh, example, like, like a little, little child. We have little ones around here, and it's awesome to see. But you rarely see um, an individual, a little child, running across the playground there at uh, eight or nine months. I mean, if they do, ooh, <laughs> that's a pretty athletic kid, pretty well-coordinated. But no, most of the time, you see them first off trying to, like a little son Jonathan right now, pushing up, frustrated, kicking his legs, can't get him to work. I can get my arms up to try to crawl, but I can't do it, can't get my legs. And then eventually you'll see them, kind of like where Emery is right now, able to crawl, move around, scoot and scurry, trying to figure out how them legs work, and he can stand up by those all himself. Has he done that yet on the legs yet, or not quite? Not quite yet. All right, he'll get there. But um, crawl, walk, run. We see that throughout all of God's creation. We're not, <laughs> uh, we're not um, as humans, we're not deer who are born with the instant ability to be able to walk. And even then, those of you that have worked on farms and you've seen a calf born, <laughs> that calf first trying to walk, he ain't too stable at first. There's some, it's kind of funny. But that's the way it is. And another thing, and to relate this to service to God, the example I'll use, same example that looked over in Sunday school with my class, Elisha. He started as a servant to Elijah. This man was out in the field. He was, it says he was out there with 12 yoke of oxen, and he had the 12th. 
So that uh, that probably means he was supervising some people, but because it'd be very difficult, and I don't know if even possible, for one man to control twelve yoke of oxen at once. Maybe it is. I don't know. But most likely, he was out there supervising a group of individuals, plowing a field. And we see him totally throw all that aside, create a feast, slaughters the ox, gives them to his men as, as a feast, turns around and leaves. The finest and the example that um, I tried to illustrate my teaching class when we're trying to understand how the Bible is talking about wealth, when we looked at Job, we looked at this as well. If you're looking at oxen, think in modern-day terms of tractors. That's pretty much what they were. If you're looking at mules, think of them as ATVs. If you're looking at camels, think of those as uh, semi-trucks. They were involved in interstate commerce carrying loads long distances. That's a decent way to try to think about, try to look from an agrarian society to our modern society, try to get that. And while a tractor may be tough eating, if you try to boil it down, cook it, and feed it to some people, the concept is the same of what Elijah did, just selling it all. And nope, I'm going after Elijah. And we don't we see that Elisha didn't immediately get the blessing for that. He had to follow him quite a ways. And his friends weren't always backing him up, and the people that should have supported him didn't always back him up. He asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And three times Elijah gave him an out, gave him a way to go. And three times, the sons of the prophets tried to tell him, uh, your Lord's going to depart from you today. What are you doing? Why are you hanging around? He's going to be gone. Elijah told him, and, uh, and, well, hold your peace, which is the blunt Bible version of saying, be quiet. Um, that's the blunt way of saying it. That's in the Greek somewhere, or in the Hebrew. So um, he started as a servant. And he did receive that double portion because he was a faithful servant. And by all accounts in Scripture, Elisha recorded twice the amount of miracles, two times the amount of miracles, recorded miracles that Elijah did. And that's the way God works. And as we stand here, and we just had the Lord's Supper, remembering that great gift that He gave us, it'd be great for us to also remember how He worked. And how he operated. And I won't close in a song. Something to think about. Something to pray about. Look at your life. Is your life, and I'm not trying to point fingers at anyone because um, there's point a finger at someone, there's four more back at you. And there is in this case. But I will ask, are there areas in your life that could be tidied up for God? There are in mine. It's very convicting writing this sermon. Am I doing everything? Am I doing everything in the order that God has prescribed and put in place? And that's the challenge. To find those areas and to fix them. Don't be like it talks about James, that a man who beholding his face in a glass, turning away and forgetting what manner of man he was. Be don't just be a hearer of something. Don't just hear something when you read God's Word and God is speaking to you. Do it as well. Don't just forget it. That's a challenge and it's very it's, it's not easy. I won't lie. It's not something that, okay, everybody get on board, do this. Everybody, you can do it. 
it's something that's difficult. With that, we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for everything that You've given to us. Thank You, Lord, that You've given all of us the opportunity to serve You. Please, Lord, help us to follow Your structure, follow Your order, and help us to bring glory and honor to You in doing it in a loving way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.